All right. Um, I was debating on um, on a topic. I was had every intention of continuing my study on the nature of true virtue, but um, I got sidetracked on another idea, and I thought it would be a little bit better uh, for this particular session. We're going to have two sessions this week, and then next week I'll be gone again, and then the following week after that I will be back. Um, and I thought it would be a good idea to examine the, some of the life and thoughts of Jonathan Edwards, who wrote the dissertation on true virtue. Um, and uh, we, I, as far as I remember, I don't think we've ever had a study of Jonathan Edwards. Remember, Bruce, anything like that? Um, so it's not going to be a complete study by any stretch of the imagination. Um, but I thought we would enter into the mind of Jonathan Edwards and give us a peek and a view of who he was, um, where, where, his, um, where his, his mind was at different times in his age, and, and also what he has done for us. And also, in this session, I want to go through some of the resolutions that he made as a young man. He resolved certain things. He wrote these resolutions down uh, quite extensively. Um, and also, not just the resolutions, but also his, some, some of his diary I thought we would go through. And it gives us a peek into the mind of who he is. And one of the things that piqued my interest in, 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 in doing this is that he struggled with many of the same um, sinful thoughts and sinful actions that we struggle with. And obviously, he didn't carry them out, but he was a man of like passions as we are. And I thought that if we were to examine such an eminent scholar of the Word of God, a theologian, I, and in my opinion, probably one of the finest theologians America has ever produced. And he is well, um, he is well thought of in the theological circles around the world ever since his time as an elder, as his time at Yale, his time as a, actually as a professor at Yale later on. They called them tutors at the time, not professors. But uh, a very learned man in the scriptures and very diligent. And uh, I thought if we, we viewed uh, into his mind his own, um, his own uh, uh, issues of sin, it would put into perspective for us how we are to deal with our sins as well. And I thought it would be a good opportunity to kind of explore that. But I would... Uh, I'm reading, I'm going to be a lot of, doing a lot of reading. I didn't take many notes. Actually, I have no notes. I'm just going to go right out of the book. But it's from the work, the complete works of Jonathan Edwards. And uh, it's a wonderful work, both, both volumes. There's two volumes to this set. And I thought I would bring it uh, and just read from it and, uh, and, and have discussions about it on how you can relate as well to some of the things that we read. So I don't know how far we're going to get, but I thought it would be a good opportunity to to go through that. Now, um, Jonathan Edwards, uh, he was born October 5th in 1703. And to his parents, his mother, his father was Timothy Edwards. And his mother, um, I think was, I think his mother's name was Esther. That's right, Esther. Esther Stoddart was his mother's maiden name. 
And uh, Solomon Stoddard was a um, preacher in Boston for many years and then later moved, I think, to Windsor. At least his father moved to Windsor. I knew that. But his father was also a preacher. And uh, Timothy Edwards actually went to Harvard University um, and was in one of the original classes of Harvard. And uh, at graduation, you were not ranked by your at Harvard at the time, I, that, that's changed, of course, but at the time you were not ranked by your academic achievements, you were ranked by your social standing. And um, so a little bit different. But um, um, Timothy Edwards was, was well-versed in the scriptures, and he homeschooled um, his children uh, for many, many years. Jonathan Edwards had... Um, Ten sisters, and he was the only son. And he had four sisters older. He was number five, and uh, six was it uh, six uh, six six sisters below him. So there's a total of eleven of them. And uh, so it was an interesting mix there. And it talks about um, some of the letters. We're going to talk about some of the letters that he wrote, but um, the idea was is that uh, he was. He was very well at, did very well at writing. He started writing at a very early age, at 10 years old. And we're going to read that, that transcript here in just a minute. And I think you would find it quite amusing, to be honest. And it's a little bit lengthy, but uh, I thought you would enjoy it. But uh, he, was a, he was a very well-trained young man by his father in the things of God. And uh, it, brought, uh, it came to light as he got older as well. But here was, uh, here was a statement made by him as intellectual progress, uh, the chapter is chapter two, intellectual progress, earliest productions, uh, entrance at college, and uh, mental habits is the title of the chapter. And this one section I thought would be uh, appropriate for our day and age. And I, I think it is timeless. And it goes like this, religion strengthens the power of man. It never enfeebles them. It at once cuts off those guilty pleasures and those unworthy pursuits which not merely impede the progress of the understanding, but in many cases are absolutely fatal to its energies and its forms, and it forms those mental habits as well as produces that outward propriety of conduct which are most favorable to the cultivation of man's noblest facilities. It would be easy to record a lengthened list of names enrolled with never fading honor, but in the schools of science and in the church of God, both in the schools of science and the church of God, the gospel of Christ has uniformly been the friend of solid learning, nor are those persons the judicious friends of the gospel who are disposed to disparage the exertions and acquirements of intellect. The Christian church dreads the veil of darkness, but it rejoices in the light. You see what he's saying here? Is that religion, true religion, enlightens the mind. True religion is a friend of learning. True religion is a thing that, that helps us to understand who God is, why we are here, how to develop our intellect, to obey the word of God. When, when we are conscientiously obeying the, the demands of God in the scripture, God enlightens our minds even more. And we see that, don't we? When we read the scriptures, 
Do you know when you come across certain passages that just pop right out at you? They just come to light. God enlightens our minds when we learn. He wants the light of the gospel to be shed, not only on the Bible, but in all of our learning, he wants it to be shed. And this is one of the things that is, that is crucial that we are missing today. It is, it is the removal of religion from our educational circles that has caused a, a deep disparaging mark as, uh, upon our education system. And we see that in the results of our society today, don't we? We see, the, we see the ongoing rebellion that's taking place. It's not just a rebellion against authority. It's a rebellion against God. And we see the, we see the, uh, the constructs of chaos involved in this whole process of learning when we try to learn outside of the light of God. And it's been suppressed and it's been removed. We no longer can have the Ten Commandments. We can no longer um, uh, talk about the things of God in the classroom. We've removed God from the classroom. And as a result of that, we've seen a decrease in in learning. Because learning now is, is revolved around what they want you to know rather than what God wants to reveal through his word and other other places. So that's, I thought that was an interesting quote when I came across it. And here's, a, here's an interesting passage that I thought would, would uh, kind of uh, um, amuse you for a little bit here. This is 10 years old. Now, um, what ha- Jonathan Edwards was 10 years old when he wrote this, but it was in response to something that uh, one of his elder classmates had written. And uh, it shows his mind at even 10 years old. And it was something to this. Um, he was talking, it was introduced by this idea of him being able to write at an early age and learning to write. He says, the earliest efforts of his pen appears to have been written on the following occasion. Someone in the vicinity, probably an older boy than himself, had advanced the opinion that the soul was material and remained with the body till the resurrection and had endeavored to convince him of its correctness. Struck with the absurdity of the notion, he sat down and wrote the following reply, which as a specimen both of wit and reasoning in a child of about 10 years of age may fairly claim to be preserved. It is without date and without pointing or any, or any division into sentences and has every appearance of having begun uh, uh, having been written by a boy just after he had learned to write. Now, this is the amusing part. He says, I inform you that you have, uh, I am informed that you have advanced a notion that the soul is material and attends to the body till the resurrection. As I am a professed lover of novelty, you must imagine I am very much entertain, entertained by this discovery, which, however old in some parts of the world, is new to us but suffer my curiosity a little further. I would know the matter, the manner of the kingdom before I swear allegiance. First, I would know whether this material soul keeps with the body in the coffin, and if so, whether it might not be convenient to build a repository for it, in order to which I would know what shape it is of, what shape it is of, whether round, triangular, or four square, or whether it is a number of long, fine strings reaching from the head to the foot. <laughs> you can see that this is a 10-year-old writing this. It's just really rather amazing. Um, and long, fine strings reaching from the head to the foot. And whether it does not live 
a very discontented life. I am afraid when the coffin gives way, the earth will fall in and crush it. But if it should choose to live above ground and hover above the grave, how big is it? Whether it covers all the body, what it does when another body is laid upon it, whether the first gives way, and if so, where is the place of retreat? But suppose that souls are not so big, but that ten or dozens of them may be about one body, whether they will not quarrel for the highest place. And as I insist much upon my honor and pro uh, property, I would know whether I must quit my dear head if a superior soul comes in the way. But above all, I am concerned to know what they do, where a burying place has been filled 20, 30, or 100 times. If they are atop of one another, the uppermost will be so far off that it can take no care of the body. I strongly suspect they must, they must march off every time there comes a new set. I hope there is some other place provided for them but dust. They are undergoing so much hardship. They are undergoing so much hardship and being deprived of the body at last will make them ill-tempered. I leave it with your physical genius to determine whether some medicinal application might not be proper in such cases and subscribe your your proselyte when I have uh, when I can have solution of these matters. Now this is a 10-year-old writing this. And it shows his mindset. He's very curious. He's got a very curious mind. You, 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 you put forth this, this, this theory that you believe that the soul stays with the body until the resurrection. But answer me these questions. I'm curious. Can you do that for me? He says, I want to be your proselyte, but, but you've got to answer these questions first before I, before I sub subscribe to your train of thought. So I thought it was an interesting uh, introduction to his mind at a very young age. And uh, I don't know any 10-year-olds that write like that. And maybe you do, but um, I know I wasn't one of them. Uh, so <laughs> uh, I thought it was rather amusing, to be honest. Um, so with that in mind, we see um, I want to go to some of the um, resolutions that Jonathan Edwards wrote. Now, the, he's a young man now. He's in his teens. He's starting to come to the knowledge of God. He's, he has a burden for God, and uh, uh, we see his, his resolutions. He, he, I don't think he's, he might have entered college. I, I'm not quite sure. It doesn't really say the time frame, but I think he's a young man at, at best. Now, he's not older in his life on these things, but he writes these resolutions, and I thought these resolutions would be interesting to read because it shows how he's thinking about his religion at this particular time, and I'm not, there's, there's literally... Um, almost a hundred of them, and I kind of asterisk some out that I thought we should read. So uh, the preamble to these is being, sens being sensible that I am unable to do any anything without God's help. I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. And he lists them. He actually, in this particular section, he has nearly... Uh, I, he has 70 resolutions, but I thought I would read them and then we could comment a little bit about them as we read through them and find some commonality between his resolutions and our own experiences as Christians. So he starts off with this. It's number 12. Resolved. If I take delight in it as 
a gratification of pride or vanity or any such account immediately to throw it by the side. So in other words, he's saying um, this idea of, of being gratified by pride and vanity should be, should be dispelled. We should not run our lives in this, in this uh, world of pride and vanity. And he's saying, throw it out. Uh, 13, resolved to be endeavoring to find out uh, fit objects of liberality and charity. I thought that was an interesting one. Even at this age, um, as a young man, he's, he's saying, I should resolve myself to finding opportunities to give liberally uh, to, to those who are in need and, and also not just liberal, uh, liberality to give those, maybe not so much in need, but also uh, those who could use a, a hand, maybe not in need, but could use a hand, and also be of charity. And I thought that was an interesting thought. How often do we walk around looking to give our money away to those who have a need or are in need of charity? Do we, do we make that our mindset? And I thought that was a challenging thought because it shows us really, isn't that what Christ has done for us? Did not Christ walk on the earth and liberally give of himself to all who came before him? He gave, he gave liberally. He gave not just to um, the, the, the ones that uh, are in need of physical help, but he also gave spiritually as well. And I think we should, we should not discount the opportunity to give spiritual help to those in spiritual need. Um, I don't think it's limited to that, but I think that's part of it. And I think he, he said, let's look for opportunities to do good. Uh, to and for our fellow man. And I thought that was an interesting resolution. Uh, 14, resolve. Never to do anything out of revenge. How many times have we come across that one? I mean, we, we, we know that in our lives we have experienced wrongs and what was the first thing we wanted to do? We wanted to take revenge. And I think Pastor talked upon this uh, uh, a week or two ago. It's not our duty to, to bring revenge upon others. That's the duty of God. God will, God will bring revenge in due time. If it's not taken care of at the cross, it will be taken care of in eternity in hell. And is that not revenge enough? And, and that's, that's his point. Don't do anything in revenge. The scriptures say, you know, not, not to be vengeful. That we, should, we should divorce our lives from the idea of revenge. It's not a healthy attitude to have or to entertain because when you start thinking about it, then you want to do it. So be resolved to, to be done with this idea of revenge. Uh, 17, and, and jump in here if you've got uh, some examples in your own life that match up any of these resolutions. You know, let's, let's hear them. Uh, resolve that I will live so as I shall wish I had done when I come to die. There's one for you, right? We, we want to live now as though we are going to die tomorrow. You know, when we, when we come to our deathbed, if we have the opportunity to have a deathbed, we should be living our lives now with the purpose of knowing that we have no regrets about how we treated our fellow men and our, fellows, our fellow uh, brothers and sisters in Christ. 
uh, on our deathbed, we don't want regrets of how many, how many accidents we caused. We want to be able to live and die with a clear conscience. And that means, that means um, reconciling ourselves to others that we've offended. And that's not an easy thing to do because what gets in the way? Our pride. Our pride gets in the way. So live as if you were going to die tomorrow. Um, number 19. And, this, uh, and I just want to reiterate, this gives us an idea of the mind of Jonathan Edwards, where he's thinking. Resolved never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if I expected it would not be above an hour before I should hear the last trump. Same concept. You know, hold yourself accountable. Restrain the lusts of the flesh and the pride of life. And uh, be ready to make, make uh, uh, meet your maker, is what he's saying. Uh, 20. Resolve to maintain the strictest temperance in eating and drinking. And he goes into this in his memoirs a little bit. Um, he talks about, in his memoirs, that... Uh, when he goes to a feast, like a celebration of some sort with his, with his congregation or friends or whatever the feast might be, he says, I have a tendency to eat more at these feasts than I do at a regular meal. And what he's really saying is, is that I'm, I'm partaking in a liberty of eating too much for the sake of enjoying the festival as opposed to eating what is needed for sustenance. And... He's saying, you know, the, the scripture that talked about putting a knife to the throat, you know, in order to not to be a glutton. And, and uh, so he's referring to that. Maintain your normal eating and drinking. And, and I don't think he's necessarily referring to alcohol. He could be, I don't know. But even if he is referring to alcohol, the idea is put, put, a, uh, put a stop sign on that somewhere. Know when to stop, know when to quit. And uh, know when to stop eating, stop drinking, and, and to be in your right mind at all times, and not to be a glutton. Um, he goes on, uh, number uh, res resolution 24. Resolve, uh, whenever I do any cons uh, conspicuously evil action, I think this is a good one, whenever I do any conspicuously evil action to trace it back, till I come to the original cause, and then both carefully endeavor to do so no more and to fight and pray with all my might against the, origin, the originality of it. So the idea is, he, he knows he's a sinner. He knows he is involved, you know, as a sinner, he, he may do something egregious or, or something that really upsets him, in the, you know, in the, in the light of Christ. And he says, Involve yourself in self-examination. Look at, look at who you are. Look at the origins of the sin. And don't make provision for it in the future. Realize what it was, what you did, and make every attempt to honor God by not making opportunity for sin. And I think that's the, the premise of it. Because there's a lot of times when we don't mortify our sins, we make opportunity for it. We allow it to come to us. We don't even have to go search for it. We, we allow it to come into our presence rather than shunning it and getting rid of it. You know, and that's, that's, uh, that's part of the Christian battle. 
is to battle the sins that, that, that so easily beset. And each one of us have different sins that we have to battle. And, God, and Jonathan Edwards is simply saying, know what those sins are and battle them. Go back to the origin of how it started. Understand how it came about. Yes, God forgives you for that sin, but part of the process is mortifying sin. And he's saying, figure out what it is that caused it and put it to death. I thought that was a good, a good resolution. Um, 25, resolve to examine carefully and constantly what that one thing is in me in which causes me in the least to doubt of the love of God and so direct all my forces against it. Uh, some people have problems with the assurance of faith. And he's saying, what is it that's causing me not to believe God's word? What is it that, that is allowing me to think that God is not generous towards me and in, in, in who I am? And that God, what, am I believing the lie of the devil that, that God does not have my best interest at heart? And he's saying, try to, try to, try to um, examine that and to put it to death and to fight against it. Um, 30 is, resolve to strive every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. Well, that's a good one, huh? How can we live each week, examine how, we, how can we grow in grace? How can we grow in the things of God? Examine how we can do that through a better, uh, a, a better resolve to read the scriptures. And I know I'm guilty of that. I think we all are. You know, are we resolved to be more like Christ this week than we were last week? And I think that's a good resolution. Um, 33, uh, resolve to always do what I can towards making, maintaining, and preserving peace when it can be done without an overbalancing determinant in other respects. So what he's saying here is, we should live a life of peace and love towards not just our brothers and sisters in Christ, but all, all men. We should be at peace with all men whenever possible. And that's not always possible, but our, our goal is to do that, but especially among the brethren. 34, resolved in narrations never to speak anything but the pure and simple verity. In other words, you don't have to embellish the truth. You don't have to embellish the story. Just say the story for what it is. Be honest. Be kind. Be, be loving. You know, and, and um, you've seen and heard people who, who embellish the story. You know, what, what's the old saying? Never let the facts get in the way of a good story. You know, that's, that, that's what he's saying. He said, don't do that. <laughs> Tell the story for what it is. If it's got value, people will take up on it. If it doesn't, they're going to throw it out anyway. And they'll know when the story's been embellished. So, so be, be simple in, in, the, in your conversations on, in regards to facts. Uh, 37, resolve to inquire every night as I am going to bed wherein I have been negligent. What sin I have committed and wherein I have denied myself, also at the very end of the week, month, and year. He says, it's another example of self-examination. Be prepared to, to deal with your sins. You know, be honest with yourself. When you lay your head down on the pillow at night, and you're, you're, you're approaching, you know, the, 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 
the twilight hours, you're ready to go to sleep, be honest with yourself. What did I commit today? What did I do today that was displeasing to God? And, and examine yourself and, and help yourself to understand, you know, going back to his other resolution, go back to what it is that I did in my sin that allowed me, you know, the, that opportunity to sin and, and put it to death. And he, 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 you know, he phrases it a little bit different, but I think the idea is, is that self-examination is important. And we should have a self-examination. Uh, 42, frequently resolved, frequently to renew the dedication of myself to God, which was made at my baptism, which I solemnly renewed when I was received in the communion of the church, and which I have solemnly remade this 12th day of January 1723. So go back to the day that you realize that God has saved you, and remember that day, and remember what God has done for you. And, uh, you know, Frequently go back to that day and remember the remember when you were saved and you came into the waters of baptism. I'm saved. I'm saved from what? From the wrath to come. Remember that grace and mercy that has been bestowed upon us by God. And that's one of the things that he says that we should on 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 many occasions go back to that. Renew our our commitment to Christ as when we were baptized. Um Resolved, uh, 44, resolved that no other end but religion shall have any influence at all on any of my actions, and that no action shall be in the least circumstance any otherwise than the religion, the religious end will carry it. In other words, don't go beyond what the scripture says. That no other end but religion shall have any influence at all on any of my actions. All of what we do should be based upon what God wants us to do. That's what he's saying. He wants, Edwards is saying, I have to govern my life by how God wants me to live my life. And that means that we have to consciously know what God, how God wants us to live. And he's saying, regulate my life based upon how God wants me to live. And I think that's a, that's a common sense resolution. And we need to, you know, we, I think we subconsciously do that all the time. But sometimes we don't frequently bring it to the fore of our thought and, uh, and examine that. Uh, 48. Resolve constantly with the utmost niceness and diligence and the strictest scrutiny to be looking into the state of my soul that I may know whether I have tr- truly an interest in Christ or not, that when I come to die, I may not have any negligence respecting this to repent of. And again, the idea of looking towards our his last day on earth, uh, be constantly looking and diligently seeking the things that he should be doing with the utmost niceness and diligence and strictest scrutiny to be looking into the state of my soul. 51, that I will act so in every respect as I think I shall wish I had done if I should at, at the last be damned. Again, this idea of self-reflection. Um, 52, I frequently hear persons in old age say how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolve that I will live just so as I can think I shall wish I had done, supposing I live to an old age. So he's saying, I want to, 
I see how old people wish they had lived their lives differently. There's regrets that they show and they tell us. Don't I did this, but I, I'm ashamed that I did it. He's saying, well, don't try to unring the bell. Don't ring the bell in the first place. That's really what he's saying. You know, and the idea is, is that we're to live our lives without regret. Don't do those, those things which would cause embarrassment to you, to your family, to our Lord Jesus Christ. Those things, those are regrets that you're going to have until the day you die. Well, instead of having those regret, regrets until the day you die, how about not doing the things that would cause the regret in the first place? And it's a sound piece of advice. A 53. Resolve to improve every opportunity where I am in the best and happiest frame of mind to cast and venture my soul on the Lord Jesus Christ, to trust and confide in him and consecrate myself wholly to him, that from this I may have assurance of my safety, knowing that I confide in my Redeemer. And... Um, you know, that this goes to the issue of assurance of faith. And I think um, even Jonathan Edwards at times in his life had, especially early on before he was truly knew he was saved, he, I think he was saved, but he had a, he, he mentions in one of his um, comments that he doesn't have an exact date and time when he knew he was saved. But he does know that God had worked on him through a period of time and he wants to make sure that he remembers that that um, uh, that he is he is redeemed by by our Lord Jesus Christ, and that he remembers that redemption. Um, Fifty four. Whenever I hear anything spoken in commendation of any person, if I think it would be praiseworthy in me, that I will endeavor to imitate it. There's an interesting one. If someone commends somebody else and you are in the hearing of that commendation and it's something that you do not possess, try to emulate it. Try to be like that because it's more Christ-like. You know, the, the, the idea is, is that, yeah, that person does have a spirit of, of, of generosity. That, and I don't have that. Maybe I should be a t a working towards being more generous with my time, being more generous with my money, being more generous with, with my comments of praise to others, you know, when they do good. Uh, and he's saying we should be working on that. We should be part of that. Um, here's a good one. Resolve never to give over nor in, in, in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions, however unsuccessful I may be. Well, that's, that's one for us, right? Always battle our corruptions. Always try to be putting our corruptions to death because it is putting our corruptions to death that brings us closer to, to Christ. And God is pleased with the battle that we perform when we battle our sins. And, he, and God knows we're not perfect at it, but are we trying to battle the sins? Yes, we might fall and stumble many times in the, in, in, in the length of our life on a particular sin, but are we trying to battle it? Are we going back to the root cause? Are we meditating on the sin that, that has made us fall? And are we trying to find ways to keep us from doing it again? And that's the meditation he's talking about. Resolve not only to refrain from an air of dislike 
fretfulness and anger in conversation, to, but to exhibit an air of love, cheerfulness, and benignity, which is the idea of being charitable and honest and, and um, um, uh, looking out for the good of others. Um, and 60, resolved, when, whenever my feelings begin to appear in the least out of order, when I am conscious of the least uneasiness, uneasiness within or the least irregularity without, I will then subject myself to the strictest examination. He's saying when, when something's not feeling right about a situation, maybe I'd immediately jump in to think about, am I, in, am I doing the right thing here? A lot of times we allow ourselves to be carried away by our emotions and feelings. And what he's saying is, something's not right here. Let me examine whether this is my behavior is measuring up to what God wants me to do. And we should be quick to self-examination, quick to the idea that, that what we do reflects Christ. Because whether we do it, do, if somebody knows that we're a Christian and we do something evil and bad, we are really bringing a bad reputation and name to Christ. And he's saying, keep an eye out for the, for the subtle, thing, subtle things that would draw us into doing something that would dishonor Christ. And um, 67 is resolved. After afflictions to inquire what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have what I might have got by them. So um, I think this goes along with the idea that Pastor was talking about not long ago, is, is giving thanks for our tribulations. And how has this tribulation helped me to grow in the knowledge of Christ? And that's a, that's a great question, isn't it? How, how do we come to, to appreciate the trials that God has put before us? Do we give thanks to God for all of our trials? He says, be anxious in nothing and to give thanks for our tribulations. How, that seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? How can we be thankful for all things, you know, uh, not be anxious for anything, but at the same time give God thanks for the trials and tribulations that we have? Because those trials work patience and that patience works faith. And that's the point that I think he's making here is, be thankful for the trials that we do have because those trials help us to mortify our sins and bring us closer to a relationship with God and trusting in God and not in ourselves. And I think that's what, uh, what, is, what is being meant there. Well, I thought I would get through more of this than what I am getting through, but um, I wanted to kind of delve into the... Into the um, diary section of it. Maybe I'll read a few. We've got a few minutes left. Um, so this, his diary section is really a section based upon um, you know, his, his writing, his daily writings and uh, for a period of time. He didn't write every day of his life but he did write many times and uh, it gives us a, a view into his soul at a, on a particular day under a particular thing. And he does go back and reference some of these resolutions that he just talked about and uh, based upon, and some of the circumstances which he, which he talked about in his memoirs were probably the impetus for writing the resolution to begin with. But I thought I would read a few of these, and we don't have time for many, but I thought I would read a couple of them. <coughs> and um, 
let you let you get a glimpse into who Jonathan Edwards was on the Sabbath day morning, May 19th. With respect to my journey last week, I was not careful enough to watch opportunities of solemnly approaching to God three times a day. The last week, when I was about to take up the Wednesday resolution, it was proposed to me in my thought to admit it, omit it, till I got home again, because there would be more convenient opportunity. Thus am I ready to look at anything as an excuse to grow slack in my Christian course. At night, he writes that that it was in the morning at night, concluded to add to my inquiries as to the spending of time at the beginning of the day or the period. What can I do for the good of men? And at the end, what have I done for their good? So it shows us something of his idea of, you know, he felt like he made an excuse to avoid his duty. And his, his conscience was bothering him about that. And the idea is, is that, um, you know, I'm ready, I'm at the ready to make an excuse to avoid my duty is his point. And uh, he wants to avoid that. But also, he resolves at night, or looks at night, the nighttime writing and concludes, what have I done to help my fellow man? At the end of the day, he looks back and he says, how can, how can I take opportunity to help my fellow man? And I think that should be part of our our character as well. You know, it's not just beating ourselves up all the time, but also, what, what is it can I do? What can I do to help my brother or sister in Christ? What is it I can do to be a better person, not just to my brothers and sisters in Christ, but to the world in general? And that goes back to the, that idea that I explained about virtue. What is true virtue? It's not just, the virtue is not just directed to brothers and sisters in Christ. Virtue is directed to all men everywhere, all the time. And virtue lives within us. And uh, we have that virtue uh, that, that is found in Christ. It is found in us, in, in, the, um, in the hearts of men. Um, another one, another diary entry. Uh, this is Monday noon, July 1st. I find I am not careful enough to keep out all thoughts but religious ones on the Sabbath when I find the least uneasiness in doing my duty to fly to the 43rd resolution. So he goes back to that. The idea here is, is that, um, you know, to keep the Lord's Day holy. You know, where, where can we improve on that area? How can we keep the Lord's Day holy? And he's, I don't think he's trying to bind our conscience. He's, his own conscience is being bound by the scriptures himself. He's not, he's not forcing that on us, but it gives, him, it gives us a glimpse of his thoughts into the matter. I am uh, on Wednesday night, July 3rd, I am too negligent with respect to improving petty opportunities of doing good, thinking that the good will be very small and unextended and not worth the pains. And he said he resolves here to regulate this as that which is wrong and what ought not to be, again confirmed by experience of the happy effects of a strict temperance with respect to both body and mind. He, he's saying, I don't want to be inconvenienced by a small work, of, a small good work. I would rather do a good big work rather than a small little good work. That, and that's what he's saying. And, and he says, guard against that. If you see an opportunity to help someone, take that opportunity. And, 
you know, be of good mind and good cheer in doing it. So those were some things that I thought would bring together with others. Maybe we'll extend that a little bit more. Uh, maybe we've got time for one more. Um, this is on um, Friday morning, July 5th. Last night when thinking what I should wish I had done that I had not done, if I was then to die, I thought I should wish that I had been more importunate with God to fit me for death and lead me into all truth that I might not be deceived about the state of my soul. So again, the idea here is self-examination. So with that one, we'll, we'll uh, wrap that up. But any comments or questions at all?